As a real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Their teams apply local insights and global perspectives to help identify the most compelling investing opportunities. Principal Asset Management, actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. And I'm Joe Weisenthal. Joe, do you remember uh, five months ago? <laughs> no, it's, yeah. all, it's all a haze. What Neither happened? did I. I actually had to look this up. Um, you remember on 420, so April 20th of yeah. this year, we released our first ever uh, narrative Odd Lots series all about the legal marijuana market in New York. Yes. And uh, obviously, uh, that was a fun experiment. And I hope we do something <laughs> like that again. My big takeaway from that, I learned a lot about market structure. I learned a lot about the industry. But my big takeaway really from uh, talking to everyone involved or lots of people involved in the New York attempt to legalize marijuana is that however complicated you thought it was and difficult it was to sort of bring in this new market, it's like infinitely more complicated than that. Yeah, it can always get worse, uh, kind of. <laughs> and that's another way to put it. Yeah. Um, well, it is true. You know, there was so much excitement about this last year and then even into early this year. And fast forward to now, I have the sort of latest figures in front of me. So New York signed the law that legalized cannabis possession back in March of 2021. So mm. it's been more than two years. And we only have like, I think it's about two two dozen legal weed dispensaries, which I think is one of the lowest, if not the lowest number among all the states that have so far legalized marijuana. And meanwhile, we have like more than a thousand unlicensed dealers, which is pretty much the outcome that New York was trying to avoid. I mean, there's probably more than two dozen within a five block radius from my house in the East Village right yeah. now. And so I remember, you know, about a year ago, I think the first one opened up and it was like, I, there was like a 10 minute walk from me and you had to show some card to buy there. And I don't know. And then they just kept getting more. They're closer and closer and they're all in all of the bodegas now. And now basically, uh, even though there's supposedly all these issues with payments at the legal one, at the illegal ones, you can buy them, buy product with credit cards. It really is crazy, but it stems from two things, right? There was an attempt to rectify sort of past injustices of the war on drugs by giving priority to people who had been negatively impacted by the mm -hmm. drug war when uh, marijuana was still straight up illegal in New York state. And then in the meantime, this tension now is like, okay, you had the you have the people who want to take the regulated legal route, and that's complicated. 
And then the people who just open up a, sh a shop and there's been very little enforcement of that. Absolutely. And along the way, you know, again, it's only been five months since we released this series, but there have been all these different legal developments, yeah. uh, which we are about to get into, because I'm very pleased to say that we really do have the perfect guests yes. to discuss this. We're bringing back uh, Cos Marte and Alfredo Anguera. They are the CEO of Conbud and the chief compliance officer of Conbud. You might remember them from the series they are aiming to open up their own legal weed shops but of course it's been far more complicated and taken a lot longer than perhaps they anticipated so cause and alfredo thank you so much for coming back on all thoughts thank you for having us yeah thank you for welcoming us back why don't we start with the basics you know i, I mentioned some of the legal uh issues that have taken place over the summer why don't you just give us the state of affairs as it exists right now in relation to new york's legal weed industry have you ever seen that meme uh <laughs> with the dog in, in, the, in the room it's fine yeah it's fine and everything is on fire that is literally the state of the industry right now uh, and and I don't mean that in, in any kind of you know funny context. It's, we it's, just got the title of this episode: yeah. New York City <laughs> cannabis. It's fine, and everything is on fire. Yeah, right. no, it's on going. fire. Um, so there's been to say it's been a lot of flux is a is a grand understatement. Uh, last time we were here, we had a lot of faith uh, that the state, because of their vested interest in getting the tax dollars and in their vested interest in kind to uh, trying to fix the social justice and equities, were really going to get it right and had the opportunity to look to other states and say, well, what is it that they did wrong and what is it that they did right? And we have we can make the perfect model. We have since learned uh, that despite those best efforts, uh, corporate interests will always rule, right? Um, when you're talking about this, the country's largest cannabis market, uh, and by way of that, the world's largest cannabis market in terms of consumption, we're talking about billions and billions of dollars. And the entities that are MSOs and the entities that are ROs aren't going to sit by the wayside, essentially. And they have been throwing every monkey wrench you can possibly imagine into the gears. Uh, hmm. So that's currently where we stand. So you mentioned corporate interests. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Because I remember, again, from speaking to you and lots of other people for the series, New York's ambition was to do it a little bit differently to other states. They wanted to create this sort of vibrant, almost like craft beer market for, for the weed industry, where you would have all these local growers and sellers, and the money would kind of be kept circulating within the state. And that seems to maybe be up in the air now or being challenged in some way. Yeah, no, it's very difficult to compete with the corporate greed. And and, and I think that's the reality is that, so we where the injunction happened, uh, we were sued, uh, the state was sued um, because they wanted the veterans to move forward first that, that that was the veterans argument that they should have been prioritized and it was just for veterans not all but veterans but it's this uh service disabled veterans now in the case we were intervened by uh, uh these corporations uh specific coalition of four multi-state operators that intervened into the case to basically state that we shouldn't be able to move forward and they're stopping the whole pathway of us opening up you know, because they 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 want to capture as much market share as possible, 
uh, in the beginning. And if, so that's that's what we're in. Yeah, if we look at this not as cannabis, right? Let's look at it as any industry, whether it would be alcohol or whether it be a mm-hmm. food product, an agricultural product, and you tell Anheuser-Busch that they can't come into the market. You tell Hormel Foods that they can't come into the market. You tell Big Tobacco that they can't come in the market because you plan on doing it craft-wise. You already know you're going to be setting yourself up for a variety of legal challenges, which is where we're at. I think costs touched upon some of the, the cases which we are currently involved in, which were submitted to the court. Uh, the first case was an Article 78 proceeding that was led by the ROs. An Article 78 proceeding is a proceeding by which that you challenge an agency's uh, authority. You question an agency's authority. If it was like the DMV or something like that and you want to challenge that, you file an Article 78. Uh, that was what the ROs had filed initially. Sorry, ROs? Stands for yeah, oh. registered organizations. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's fine. I just... Those are the, the medical, <clears throat> medical operators. So if, if I could just, just to step back and clarify a, a couple quick things. You're opening this store or attempting to open up this location, Conbud. You were granted the license in part because out of the social justice or social equity efforts of the law, cost you had served time in prison. And so you were, uh, uh, you know, in this attempt to sort of reverse uh, some of the effects of the war on drugs, you were, I guess, granted one of the early yeah. license, uh, licenses to open this. Um, just real quickly, when was that f- a very initial grant made? So they, they gave us our license early April. Okay. And then real quickly, when were you hoping to have the store open? We up? were looking to open up on Labor Day. Okay. Now, yeah. talk specifically about the Article 78 proceedings. So there's two separate ones. There was one from a veterans group and one from the MSOs. Can you just talk about specifically what these new legal roadblocks are such that we're here in October and the store hasn't opened up? Alfredo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the ROs filed the Article 78 to basically say that they wanted the market opened uh, so that the the registered organizations who are these medical entities Mm -hmm. who are allowed to open up bigger places and more places than other licensees, that they should be allowed to open up um, immediately. Okay. Uh, and they're challenging OCM. So that was an Article 78 that was going through. That's the, the Office of Cannabis Management. Uh, yes, Office okay. of Cannabis Management. That So they challenged that in the courts and o- they challenged OCM. Then shortly after that, uh, plaintiffs uh, in the case uh, and we're involved in the litigation, so I would just like to prefer to just refer to them as plaintiff and not individually. But, sure. But but to cut not to cut you off, no, here, Alfredo. We yeah, originally the law was written for justice involved individuals to yes. be the first ones in the game, and right. so the medical operators they were pushed back for three years. Now when they when they put this Article seventy eight, the OCM, the Office of Cannabis Management, responded and said, all right, we're going to allow you to move forward by a year now, which means December 30th, they were allowed to open up. Now, all they had to wait was a couple more months. And, you know, due to wanting to capture the market as much as they can, they're pushing everything back. And they're saying, it's not fair. We want to open up now. And plaintiff's argument, uh, who, who's involved in the case, their rep, the attorneys represent uh, some service-disabled veterans. Their argument is that the MRTA, which is the law that passed uh, cannabis in New York, that the MRTA states that all applicants will be allowed to open at the same time with certain preferences given to subgroups. Mm. So their challenge is that the entire card program, which is the conditional adult 
recreational dispensary licenses uh, that were given to social justice equity individuals, that entire license subcategory is unconstitutional and therefore they should all be pulled. And that's why they requested an injunction and it froze all the card applicants. Got it. Now that puts, that creates a variety of issues, right? One, there are certain applicants who've already received their license and who are already open and operational. Now we're talking about me taking away a, a, a property of yours. You, you have something. And the removal of that is a totally different legal procedure, right? That's like a 14th Amendment kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Now, uh, absent that, there are also other individuals who are within that bucket who maybe haven't opened up and maybe haven't been processing sales yet, but have an irreparable harm. And what do I mean by that is they detrimentally relied upon the state saying, hey, you're good. You can continue to move forward, enter into these contractual agreements, enter into this lease agreement, enter into this purchasing agreement, enter into the staffing agreement. And then now it's, hey, wait, everybody has to freeze. Well, we're, we have uh, debts of mounting over $5 million or you know, $250,000 or whatever it is. Now there's this entire other group of individuals who find themselves behind the eight ball. And it's really weird because that particular group, the social justice impacted individuals, the individuals who were over-policed, over-targeted, and came from these disproportional areas, now beg, borrowed, and stealed and took all that money that they could from their family, their friend, their 401k, scraped everything together to open up this business, did the application, followed the guidelines, did everything that you told them to do, and now they're left holding the bag. It's, it's almost like an insult to injury. And it's, there, it's like almost all over again, this whole thing is happening and they're being further impacted. And it's like this kind of a second war on drugs that is just going through a legal proceeding as opposed to on the streets. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. 
So you have the injunction from the veterans group who think that they should also receive priority. You have the multi-state operators who also want to get into the market. Can I ask a really simple question, which is how much money have you guys spent so far on a business which isn't yet open? We've spent definitely over a million dollars. Wow. Yep. And that that was all self-funded and 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 came from our our personal businesses. Uh, I know that you know most card applicants don't even have those resources. We are blessed enough that my business partner Junior and I uh, own and operate several restaurants. Goss uh, owns and operates a very successful gym business. You know the money that we put into this particular venture came at the sacrifice of our other businesses. Uh, you know, so we've we've given all that we could to this. Are you currently paying rent month to month on a location that that's just sitting there unused? October 1st rent was just paid. And that was for $38,000. <laughs> so every month you're just it's 38,000 out the door. Yep. Um, How tempted are you at this point to just, just go rent away. a van oh, yeah. and like park it in Washington Square Park like everyone it's, else seems to? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I contemplated that and it's like I'd rather sell state work instead of block work mm. <laughs> just because I waited for so long. You know, I mean, I've been advocating for legalization of cannabis since 2016 and still wait, you know, still waiting and going through and feeling like every milestone we've reached was a success. I think we celebrated Alfredo and I probably about five <laughs> celebrations every time we went to court yeah. or even got a license or even got into the next step. So if our application being graded is submitted and everything. So it's been a, a, a dreams and nightmares for real. Okay, and how much responsibility do you think the state of New York bears in all of this? Because on the one hand, you know, they made promises saying that this was going to be a social restitution exercise, um, compensation for the war on drugs and things like that. But on the other hand, you know, if the veterans want to challenge the legality of that, it seems like maybe that's outside of New York's control. I guess another way of asking this well, is, what could they be doing better? Here? They they could have they could have codified card so the, the conditional adult use retail dispensary license could have been codified into law. Hmm. I actually went up and spoke to legislators months ago about codifying card, and they were like, "No, the law is is fine. We don't need to rectify anything." And so you know, come today, you know, in August, the the injunction was placed and. You know, now we're like, oh, we should have <laughs> codified card and this would mm. never happen and written this into law, but it didn't. And here we're, the, where we're the at. The state could, I mean, the state is dealing with a, a lot right now, right? Where does this fall on their hierarchy of issues? Mm. We have asylum seekers sleeping in the streets. Uh, the city is inundated by hundreds of thousands of individuals looking to get their slice of the American dream. Uh, housing costs are through the roof for mm. certain individuals. You know, we, we, we still have a, a budget that is busted, still as a result of COVID. We can, you know, on my way here to the studio, we can see the streets in New York are nowhere near what they used to be four years ago. We have really mounting problems here. So where does this fall on the hierarchy of the state? Sure, um, card applicants who faced a large hill of social injustice are involved. Sure, uh, farmers upstate are involved. Sure, there's an illicit market running rampant, but the the state, like that meme, has fires all over the house, right? Right. right. 
So where what could they have done? Yes, Goss is a million percent correct. They could have codified it, and they didn't. So that would have required a special session. And to call a special session to come in to do this is not going to happen, right? So it would have had to be right. a multiple things tied into that bill. Why didn't they codify it in the first place, right? You didn't ask it, but that's a great question. It's because they, there wasn't an appetite for it initially, and then they didn't feel like it needed to be because they felt the bill covered it. Uh, what do I mean by that? I mean, uh, if Congress passes a tax law and says, okay, this is going to be the corporate tax rate, they don't go to the IRS and say, okay, bring us all uh, the tax codes. We're going to go over this line by line with you. Congress gives kind of this broad mandate to these agencies, the same way it would be to the EPA or to a variety of other agencies. They say, this is the goal we want you to get to. How you decide to get to that goal is upon the agency's discretion. Uh, we don't need to know the parts per milliliter uh, of something in water that you find safe or we don't need to know you know mm. what the exact deductions are we're not going to vote on every single item we're just going to give you the mandate and the mandate was given to the office of cannabis management to fulfill this social justice equity component and how the office of cannabis management uh. found the best way to do that was through this card program so, you know, let me ask you the other element. You're paying all this money. You're dealing with these uh, legal headaches that you didn't anticipate. The other thing that we were talking about a lot when we had our conversation in April was the existence of all these sort of uh, gray market, uh, non-licensed operators. And, you know, we were sort of premised on this idea that maybe there would be a crackdown. Not only does there not seem to have been a crackdown, it seems like there are way more than there were in April and nicer ones. So it's not just... Wait, uh, wait, wait. A lot of the trucks are gone. The trucks... You have to admit. But there are more stores, it feels like. More like brick and mortar shops. Yeah, I see fewer trucks. I see way more brick and mortar shops. I see nice brick and uh, and mortar shops. Mm. So like actually ones that were clearly not just sort of a bodega type environment, but like something that really looks like an Apple store or a Nike store. All these entities somehow allow you to pay with a credit card or some sort. What is your confidence at this point that whether it's the city or the state has some sort of way to, I guess, make sure that people who are not going uh, down the licensed route won't be your competitors? I think we need to educate the, the public. You know, more more forums like this, more forums that, you know, the media puts out in terms of what is a legal store. Uh, th- there is a lot of issues with these nice stores being popped up everywhere. And you walk in and you're like, oh, wow, these people got their licenses. Yeah. beautiful in here. So the, the, the general public doesn't even know, you know, right. and I think the more we you know, put out there and the more ads, the more marketing that they, the state could do. You know, we can educate the audience, but right now it's it's going to be difficult. You know, I have in a thousand foot radius. There's you know probably fifty to sixty shops around me, um, and there's not supposed to be one. We're supposed to be the only one. You know, and and so it's it's going to be difficult. But I think I, I I we planted ourselves in the in the right neighborhood. I'm born and raised in the Lower East Side, and I'm a local. A business owner there and a lot a lot of people know me uh, a lot of people are anticipating our opening um we've been able to uh, really educate it through word of mouth uh, which the state hasn't really done successfully but we'll see i'd rather spend a million dollars on a legal store than an illegal store and then be shut down right and have that you know up in the air 
I remember talking to someone from the state and they were making a similar argument. Like if you build the legal weed bodega, they will come like the public will eventually have a preference for legal shops. But I guess devil's advocate question here, the longer this uncertainty goes on and the longer that you have these illegal or gray market stores, does do people get used to that Mm. option? Because like I can tell you. Up until very recently, there was a truck parked relatively close to me, and it was fairly easy to go there. And they had stuff from California that theoretically I might enjoy. If my dad is listening to this, I never went to the weed truck. (laughs) But, you know, like I got used to it being there. It had the same offerings every day. It seemed pretty professional. It took credit cards. That was a pretty good option. But we got to re-educate on what you're using you know we, you, you don't know what this right. is they they found a whole bunch of metals they found a whole bunch of <clears throat> you know mm. insane substances in this substance that's supposed to be organic and clean and safe uh we, you don't know what you're consuming uh, it's like it's like i don't know buying buying a uh uh on fda churro in the in the subway <laughs> train you know like <laughs> You could do you do it, but I've you got, might you I've might have it. the you might have the runs later, right? You know, so you just never know. And now with this whole fentanyl scare, I yeah. mean, that's a bigger that's, that's a bigger like you know solution to like educate the audience. Like, hey, that we found fentanyl in weed. You know, there's been a whole bunch of stories on that. Goss is right. Education is is crucial, but that puts the onus on the consumer. And New York City is, if the population hasn't decreased post-COVID, right, is about 8 million people in the greater New York region. That puts the onus on 8 million different people. And that's a lot to ask of them. Mm. You know, uh, and and while Goss is right, you know, you eat the trudeau from the subway station, you may get the runs, but they're there for a reason because people purchase it. They're good and, too. Yeah. yeah, the people are buying it. And, <laughs> and, 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 it's worth it. Yeah, it's worth the runs <laughs> later. Well, people are becoming creatures of habit to your point, right? And if I see it there every day and it may be illicit, I'm still going to go in. It, it puts the onus on you where you right. go into a bar and if a bar is open and you walk in and you order a drink, you automatically assume that they are a licensed uh, to, to have a liquor license. You don't say, hey, where's your liquor license number? Are you licensed by the state of New York? Because you make that assumption because we've we've come accustomed to that. So I think the next prong besides educating the consumer is enforcement. If I couldn't, I couldn't open up next to your studio and and just open up next to McDonald's without a license and start selling hamburgers or start selling wine or start selling anything without somebody eventually coming and saying, hey, we got to shut you down. This doesn't meet health department requirements. This doesn't meet state liquor authority requirements. This doesn't meet construction requirements. This doesn't meet, you know, requirements that you're, you're basically trying to market to children. You don't meet any of these things. We have to close you down. And in New York City, that has some of the most stringent building codes and has some of the most stringent laws in relation to opening up businesses, enforcement is key. And these places that are illicit, that are putting, you know, that are selling products that aren't tested, that may have a variety of heavy metals and fentanyl and a variety of other things, enforcement is key. Education and enforcement. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. 
Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know, you mentioned the alcohol analogy, and I think about that all the time because I, wa- I walk home from the subway on St. Mark's most days, and there are literally people, you know, outside selling on a table. And I would never, you would never see in this day and age, like, you know, someone selling shots of liquor out of the street. Excuse me. Aren't you the guy that buys nutcrackers on the beach in the summer? What do you think those are? (laughs) You do that? I I have. Yeah. You know, you're out there on on Coney Island. Yeah, it's good. But I'm just saying, you wouldn't expect to see. I'm not saying you would never buy it. I'm just saying. And we we don't want to take those individuals that are are hustling in the streets and making them their their money because that's that's their livelihood. No, no, I I get it. I'm just saying, it's just extraordinary that here was this drug that people were going to prison for and, and not many years ago, and now there's much less uh, enforcement, it would seem, than even um, alcohol. It was literally, yeah. literally uh, the only point I was trying to make. Just from an uh, operational standpoint, if, let's say tomorrow, it's like all the legal issues go away. It's like, Conbud, is Conbud ready to go? Can you turn on the lights and open the door? Like uh, The lights are on, the doors are closed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we're, all we're missing is product. So we, we're not allowed to get product, mm. but, you know, basically we're turnkey. We would need a couple of days just to make sure we dusted everything and yeah. got the staff in and did a couple of dry runs. But, yeah, we're ready to go. How long can you sort of wait um, yeah. in stasis? That is a very good question. Again, we're in pending litigation, so certain things we don't sure. want to disclose. But we've done our math. We know how long we can hold out and we can continue to be in this run asset at a deficit until things turn around. And I'll say it is not very long. We don't have a long run, right? Yeah, we do not have very long. Just sounds like I'm incredibly frustrating, both the the, the month to month cost, seeing the uh, seeing the stores open up and operate. How many did you say? Fifty or sixty within a ten thousand foot radius from where you are? Thousand foot radius. A thousand foot, right? (laughs) Crazy. Uh, Also, uh, the broken promises. The broken promises. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking optimistically, if we do have a great day at, at court and things move forward, you know, we're looking to open up October 20th. Like, yeah. That's what we want our goal to be. The court, yeah, the court this Friday is hearing the case of 12. Um, are you familiar with the court process of what's happening right now? Mm, why don't you fill us in exactly what we're looking <laughs> at? All right, so this Friday, 
uh, when so the just pay- to, just so just so people know, we we're recording this October fifth. So when you say this Friday, you mean oh, okay. October? Just so people understand okay. the date. Yes, yeah, yeah, October sixth. So yeah. October sixth, a motion will be heard when the plaintiffs filed their lawsuit. We impled, uh, meaning we said, "Listen, you are suing the state and you're suing OCM, but we have a vested interest. This affects us, so we uh, want to implead into this case." Okay. So it is Combud and three other dispensaries that joined us, uh, and we impled into the case. We are the only actual card applicants that are involved, besides the state of New York itself. So the judge asked for a variety of things for the injunction. We requested that the injunction be lifted because it was doing irreparable harm to us. We were bleeding money. You know, we had staff, we had contracts, and this was putting us in a position where, you know, we couldn't recover from. And in mm-hmm. very short order, we were going to have to file bankruptcy. So that we put that request before the court. And basically the judge at one point basically said, okay, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to free X amount of people from this injunction as so long as the Office of Cannabis Management says that they have met these following requirements. The Office of Cannabis Management supplied a list to the court. The plaintiffs contested that list. That initial list was 30 uh, card applicants Mm -hmm. of which we were one. Then plaintiffs contested several of them, and that list was whittled down to 12. OCM supplied that list of 12 to the court, and that list of 12 is going to be heard this Friday. Because we were not on that list of 12, but because we are impled into the case and we Mm. have our own counsel on it, we don't have to wait for OCM. We will be circumventing OCM, and this Friday, our own motion as well will be heard to lift the injunction from those 12 as well as us. All right. Well, since we're recording this a day before a very important court date, it sounds like we're going to have to get an update from you, uh, maybe before we release the episode and just see which way things have gone. Or we could send you a, a photo of us celebrating yeah, again I outside know. the court. <laughs> celebrating so. for the sixth time. And by the way, the, and by the way, the market has already opened October. Actually, uh, yesterday, yeah. the market opened to the general public, so anyone could apply. We actually submitted our application yesterday as well. So we for a general application. Yep. Ah, yeah. all right. All right. Well, Costa Alfredo, thank you so much for coming back on and providing providing us an update and uh, we'll see what happens. Thank yeah, thank you, you, so you for much. I appreciate it. Joe, I think you summed it up perfectly in the intro. No matter how complicated you thought the legal weed market already was in New York, it seems like it's just grown even more complex. The other thing I was thinking about was Alfredo's point about, you know, you can't place the onus for the entire industry on the consumer. Uh, You know, I myself am not the best consumer of certain things. And so I really think you have to twin it with enforcement. And of course, the difficulty so far has been, what does that enforcement actually look like? No one wants to go back to the days of the war on drugs. Um, But at the same time, you cannot have a thriving illegal market with, you know, a lower cost overhead that's competing with the thing that is supposed to be funneling money into the state. Yeah, this is I mean, this is the key thing, which is that, you know, the the idea was that the licenses were designed to, you know, hopefully encourage people to go that route. And yet, uh, you know, in, in theory, even when Conbud opened, at least as of right now, there are going to be numerous competitors who, in theory, 
have potentially lower taxes, lower cost bases, are able to potentially bring in product from out of state, which the uh, New York state operators aren't able to do. Mm -hmm. Payments are challenged still for the legal operators. Meanwhile, like I said, it seems like all these places suddenly accept normal credit cards right now. So it does feel like there is a limit to the extent to which uh, the market can be solved through consumer education. So a little update. After we recorded this episode, uh, we spoke to the ConBud team on October 5th. On October 6th, the Friday, the injunction was in fact lifted, which means it looks like ConBud should be able to open on October 19th. So they can do their uh, sixth celebration. Let's go check (laughs) it out. Shall we leave it there? Let's leave it there. This has been another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me at Tracy Alloway. I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me at The Stalwart. Follow our guests on Instagram, conbud at conbudny. Follow our producer, Carmen Rodriguez at Carmen Armin and Dashiell Bennett at Dashbot. And check out Potlots, our series from last April. Tremendous amount of background context to further understand this conversation. And for more Odd Lots content, go to Bloomberg.com slash Odd Lots, where we post transcripts, a blog, and a newsletter. And go to our Discord, discord.gg slash Odd Lots, to talk about this episode and others with fellow listeners. And if you enjoy Odd Lots, if you want us to do a deep dive, another series into uh, another particular market, then please leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.